multitudes of sincere and trusting believers are caught in the virtually invisible web of religious captivation in charismatic and other neo-Pentecostal churches and don't know it. They are unaware victims of spiritual abuse and exploitation perpetrated under the heavy hand of hyper-authoritarianism, that is to say, the leadership of the church group of which they are a part is dominating, controlling, and manipulating their followers, thereby exploiting them for personal gain and private kingdom building. Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that he is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. Horror stories of authoritarian abuse and exploitation and psychological enslavement in bona fide Christian churches abound. From time to time, particular isolated incidents have erupted in highly publicized news stories. However, those high-profile cases are really only the tip of the iceberg. The truth of the matter is, as several decades of my counseling ministry to hundreds of victims bears out, ecclesiastical enslavement and exploitation is widespread in certain sectors of Christendom in this nation. And it is vital to understand I'm not talking about radical, fringe, religious sects and cults, but well-respected church groups espousing otherwise orthodox Christian beliefs, whose membership is comprised of a cross-section of average Americans, individuals, and families of every race, education level, station, and walk of life. Though religious predomination is certainly nothing new, and hyper-authoritarianism is by no means limited to the neo-Pentecostal branch of the church, it has, however, especially flourished in the charismatic and so-called second and third wave, that is, neo-Pentecostal groups, since it was infused into the very fabric, foundation, and functions of that branch of the church in the early to mid-70s. Moreover, it is the charismatic branch of which this ministry has been a part since its inception, which gives me not only the right— but also the duty to bring reproof of error and errancy in that realm. This is Stephen Lambert. 
We trust you're enjoying this episode of The Real Truth Podcast. You can submit your comments and questions at realtruthradio.com. The Common Control Mechanisms We turn our attention now to the common control mechanisms employed within these hyper-authoritarian groups. Remember as you study them that, as previously mentioned, the premise of absolute submission, which is the bedrock of such authoritarian doctrines, coupled with the enslaving organizational and authority structure, are the primary components that make these techniques and mechanisms effectual and effective. Just one other comment before we get to them. As you will readily notice, the primary force behind these subjugation techniques and mechanisms of manipulation and their common denominator is fear. This in itself is Satan's unmistakable signature and seal that distinguishes all that is demonic from that which is from God. For all of Satan's works are predicated upon and produce fear whereas all that God does is founded in and produces faith. F. Fear of Failure A constant undercurrent of the teaching, counseling, and communal conversation within these groups is the cultivation and reinforcement of a fear of failure if members do not obediently and docilely follow every rule and dictate emanating from the leadership as a whole as well as every personal command of each leader comprising the multiplicity of echelons of leaders over the group. These groups thrive on condescension and berating of the capabilities and judgment of the members, juxtaposed to that of their quote-unquote spiritually superior leaders. Instead of declaring release, forgiveness, restoration, and overcoming of past faults, failures, and tendencies, as the gospel of good news prescribes, in these groups there is a constant and continual reminding of past faults, failures, weaknesses, and tendencies. Remember now, leaders say to their subjects, you've always had a problem with this or that, or you know you've always been rebellious, and so on. The ultimate purpose of this constant identification with failure is to create within the members a profound sense of dependency on the group and its leaders to make their decisions for them and to tell them what is best for them. Adding to the problem is the fact that there certainly is no shortage of lazy and negligent people and those who refuse to repent of the fear of failure, who are quite content to have someone else tell them everything to do, rather than have to seek the Lord for themselves as to the specificities of their lives. G. Fear of lost or invalid salvation. Typically in these groups wherein extreme and aberrant authoritarian doctrines requiring absolute submission to their leadership are relentlessly hammered into their heads, and a yoke of overbearing, unrealistic, and unscriptural dictates, demands, and expectations is placed upon their necks, members' salvation is under constant challenge and doubt. 
in time, they begin to question whether or not they were ever really saved in the first place, or whether they have subsequently lost their salvation and right standing with God because of their purported propensity to rebellion. Their instinctive and intuitive inclinations to reject the demonic and unnatural enslavement to which they are being subjected, they are told, is nothing but their rebellion to authority continuing to rise up within them, which they must conquer and learn to just submit. They are incessantly barraged with charges of being a rebel, and that their rebellion against the oppressive domination being perpetrated upon them is evidence of and resulting from their rebellion against God. This extremely disconcerting uncertainty, and in some cases tormenting fear, concerning the validity and genuineness of their salvation, is used as a very effective means of keeping the ever-diffident members docile and cowering. Jesus prophesied, An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshiper. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the Word of God to the world, the Real Truth Radio Network at realtruthradio.com. Three, guilt projection. Related to and used in concert with the aforementioned guilt projection, essentially is a method of manipulation or control in which an abstract but nonetheless effectual ever-present sense of guilt is purposely projected upon subjects by the subjugator. It is employed on two fronts within these groups. First, on the personal level, wherein members are continually battered and psychologically abused with regard to their sinfulness and rebellious attitudes, for which no real forgiveness and redemption is ever extended or reinforced by the leadership. This causes the members to labor under a perpetual cloud of guilt, unworthiness, rejection, and total exasperation. Consequently, members embark upon a never-ending merry-go-round ride of vain fleshly works, trying and failing over and over again to measure up and thereby merit the forgiveness and acceptance of God their group peers, and their leaders. This is used as a mechanism of manipulation to keep the members forever docile, doting, and drudging as approval and acceptance are tantalizingly dangled before them just out of their reach like the mechanical rabbit at a dog race. Second, 
members are constantly told how vital their own participation and financial support is to the overall success of the church and its every mission. Through very skillful oratorical wheedling, members are cajoled into personal identification with the contrived plans, projects, and programs of the church, all of which are adamantly alleged to be God-inspired and God-sponsored. Members are craftily lured into accepting the hypothesis that since these plans, projects, and programs came directly and purely from God as a divinely inspired mission and assignment for the group, and since they are a member of the group, the success of the mission is their personal responsibility. If the project or program is not successfully completed, it is the personal fault of each and every member for which God holds them personally accountable. Even though the individual members never personally heard from God regarding the matter and were never even given the option of testing whether or not this matter truly was from God for themselves, as Scripture requires, or a means by which to express their view. Number four, isolation. The Great Wall of China and the former Berlin Wall are classic examples of walls that were built by would-be world emperors not only to keep peoples of other lands, along with their opposing ideologies, out, but to keep their own people in, and to thereby insulate them from influences contrary to the particular utopia-promising political ideologies they were promulgating. The same is true of the invisible but very real walls of religious segregation in the form of denominationalism and other kinds of sectarianism erected throughout the church age by ecclesiastical prefects out of intense insecurity and paranoia, in many cases to the point of neurosis, in the hope of keeping their followers from being exposed and attracted to teaching and experiences contradictory to the particular ideologies and dogmas they were promoting. Classic cults, especially during the indoctrination stage, require virtually complete isolation of the inductee from family and friends in order to insulate them from all contradictory influences. Similarly, hyper-authoritarian groups strongly urge their members to avoid fellowship with anyone who is not a part of their group, including fellow believers, friends, and especially family. Attending another church without the prior approval and consent of the leaders, which is almost never granted, is cause for censure and possible disfellowship or excommunication. In some groups, even the reading of books, viewing television programs, and listening to radio programs of other ministers is prohibited without the consent of the leadership and unless that other ministry has been approved by the leadership of the group and, of course, very, very few are. Of course, the common claim of those who preach and require such segregation and isolation is that this is a very noble and beneficial protective measure 
instituted in the members' best interest in order to protect them from deceiving and damaging influences. However, nowhere does the Word of God teach that either segregation or isolation is a deterrent or preventative against spiritual deception. Rather, Jesus explicitly said that if a person abides, that is, hears and obeys, lives in the Word of God, then that person would know the truth, and the truth would set that person, the person who knows the truth of God's Word, free, which includes setting them free and keeping them free from deception, John eight thirty one and 32. In other words, it is truth that sets free. Truth never deceives or enslaves. Groups that mandate or urge separation and isolation from other segments of the true body of Christ, as well as those, I might add, that promote communal living, are dangerous. Sincere and earnest believers would do well to avoid all such groups, because this especially is one of the common earmarks of cults. Enjoying this podcast? Please take a minute to pray if the Lord would have you help us with the substantial financial burden of this program. We receive no grants or funding from any organization or government agency and have no other means of support than the gracious and generous giving of our listeners. SLM Inc. bears the entire burden. In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash SLMINC to give any amount. Thank you for your gifts, generosity, and graciousness. Number 5. Internalization One consistent hallmark of these groups is extremism regarding personal involvement and participation of every member, getting every person deeply involved in some function or duty or role of participation is a virtual obsession with these groups. Programs and departments are created for the primary purpose of keeping every member of every family engrossed in some type of in-house involvement, which they refer to as quote-unquote ministries, from music to recreation to special study programs to an infinite number of other specialty ministries. The premise is, of course, that the more involved a person is and the more important he or she feels, the greater and more intent will be his or her personal commitment and contribution to the overall operations and machinery of the organization. And, indeed, usually, the plan works precisely as designed, producing the intended results. The primary reason for that is that they exploit three very basic human desires the need to feel accepted and part of something, the need to feel important and needed, and the need to function and be fruitful, that is, accomplish something meaningful. If not sanctified through the cross of Christ and fulfilled through the life of Christ, 
These desires are nothing more than selfish ambition, which is a primary inroad for satanic exploitation. Someone may well say, but every church tries to get its members involved. Is that always wrong? The answer is that every believer has a God-given spiritual function both in the church and in the world. But these are real and spiritually effectual functions bearing true spiritual fruit that remains, John 15, 16. Not silly, superficial, artificial, and spiritually inconsequential, internal ecclesiastical dabbling, producing virtually no true spiritual fruit, but serving only to stroke the participant's already overinflated ego and superfluous sense of self-importance. Number six, economic exploitation and enslavement. It is an incontrovertible fact that the Bible is replete with passages and promises concerning abundant financial blessing coming unto those who are faithful in their tithing and giving and in the administration of unrighteous mammon, that is money. Indeed, everyone who has perseveringly and faithfully complied with the requisites and conditions of those promises can attest to their validity and absolute trustworthiness. It is a certainty that God desires to bless His people financially, and He has established the spiritual law of sowing and reaping, Genesis 8.22 and Galatians 6.7 or giving and receiving as the primary means through which to accomplish that blessing. The long and the short of the ordinance is that when a believer sows financially, he will in due season reap a multiplied financial harvest commensurate with the amount of seed sown. Thus, every believer should be a consistent and persistent sower. So in no way am I denigrating the very valid truths in the Word of God regarding giving our tithes and offerings with this point about this manipulation mechanism. However, in both classical cults, as well as groups such as those churches we are discussing of the Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal community who employ these practices of overt control and domination— there is almost invariably an aberrant ilk of quote-unquote stewardship espoused that places excessive demands and requirements upon the members for monetary contributions to the group and for quote-unquote accountability regarding their personal financial matters. Members are incessantly pressed to give more and more beyond their 10% tithe in special offerings to fund an endless litany of special in-house ministries and missions, projects, and programs. In addition, cell group leaders keep a very watchful eye on the personal expenditures of the members of their group in many cases, interposing their own unqualified, non-professional, and unsolicited advice with regard to what should be members' private financial affairs. As mentioned before, it is a documented fact that in some shepherding groups, the leaders, despite not having any training or expertise in financial matters, are the members' de facto financial advisors, 
and members are essentially constrained from making important financial transactions without the advice and consent of their leaders, which advice is usually weighted toward frugality with respect to the members' expenditure of their money on their own needs and liberality with respect to the needs of the church or ministry. Number 7. Dependence Indoctrination The primary purpose and goal of many, if not all, of the aforementioned techniques and mechanisms of manipulation is to produce in the adherence a psychological dependence on the group and especially the leader. Members are taught to put all their faith, hope, and trust in the group's leaders, which is idolatry and actually grants opportunity and permission for invasion by all manner of evil spirits, not the least of which is the spirit of fear. As a result of these techniques and mechanisms, members are terrified by the prospect of punitive action that they have been taught would be emanating ultimately from God Himself if they are not completely submissive to every dictate and whim of their leaders. They are laden with overwhelming burdens of false guilt, isolated from other sources of truth and fellowship, and their entire life is totally immersed in the internal involvements of that group. The outcome is ungodly, unscriptural, and even demonic, all-encompassing spiritual and psychological dependence on the group and the leader. What leaders of such groups purport to be exhorting their members to in this regard is the quite virtuous, laudable, and desirable qualities of allegiance, loyalty, and commitment, elemental to what they refer to as covenantal relationships. However, the truth is that, as discussed previously, these covenantal relationships are actually covenants with demons that are not based in true freedom and the attributes of the Spirit, but in seduction, witchcraft, bondage, and captivation inspired by evil spirits. Moreover, the outcome certainly is not a working of the Holy Spirit, for the Bible clearly proclaims that, quote, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, end quote, 2 Corinthians 3.17, not bondage. Once ensnared in the web of bondage and dependency, the victim of these control mechanisms is mentally, emotionally, and spiritually dependent not on the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but on the human leaders and fellow members of his group for psychological satisfaction and survival in every aspect of life. This is spiritual treachery and apostasy of the highest order. Number 8. Esotericism With these cult-like groups, there is a deliberate and carefully crafted concealment or obfuscation of the group's true nature, agenda, and modus operandi from the general public, as well as prospective recruits and new proselytes. The complete truth is known only to the few who are part of an elite and exclusive inner circle of compatriots. This is the very definition of esotericism, which tellingly has been deemed by the highest courts of our land in cases where legal action has been taken against such religious cults and illegal pyramid schemers to constitute criminal fraud. 
full disclosure is not made up front, but comes only incrementally as the initiate advances through the various levels of orientation and enlightenment that are supposedly required for full comprehension of the teachings and methodologies of the group. Obscuring and skewing of these particulars concerning the group to the general public are ostensibly justified by the assertion that comprehension of the import of the group's teachings and purposes requires the enlightenment that comes only to those who have been fully trained, in reality indoctrinated and brainwashed, by the teachings and dogmas comprising their belief system. The real crux of the deceitfulness and dastardliness of this incremental disclosure lies in the fact that it is not until the passenger has boarded the ship and it has set sail and begun traversing the great abyss of irrational indoctrination that he is informed of the destination and full cost of the voyage, metaphorically speaking. It is perhaps revealing that this incremental disclosure technique is a watermark of classic modern cults, many of whom now, because of widespread discreditation and negative publicity, have resorted to a variety of actions aimed at improving their public image, including organizational name changes, the use of euphemistic theology, more sophisticated concealment of true intents and purposes, and plain old outright lying. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.